0: Welcome to the More Equity podcast by Harlem Capital. Harlem Capital is an early stage, diversity-focused venture capital fund based in New York. We're on a mission to invest in 1,000 diverse entrepreneurs over the next 20 years. Thank you for following our journey, and now on to the podcast. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Raquel Scott, a summer VC intern with Harlem Capital. In this season, I'll be speaking to some of the individuals who are introducing new models and structures into venture capital to learn how they came up with and executed their ideas. Since we all must play a part in creating the future we want to live in, I hope this series also inspires you to identify the game-changing ideas you have and gain the confidence to successfully execute them.
1: I think, you know, you get that imposter syndrome all over again, even when you're building something like a VC fund. And it it was strong. I was like, am I qualified to do this? Do I have the, you know, credentials? And the answer is I I do, but you see one type of person when you think venture capital. And I really wanna make a change to for people not to think that.
0: In this episode, I have the opportunity to speak with Janine Sickmeyer who is a founder and managing partner of Overlooked Ventures. In this episode, Janine shares her story as a successful entrepreneur of a legal tech startup and how that experience inspired her to become an angel investor and now start her own venture capital fund, investing in Overlooked Founders. In this episode, Janine shares how she overcame her imposter syndrome as a VC and the importance of working with people who encourage your spark and energize your passions. Also putting those values and missions at the forefront of what you do and how that will shape everything that you become in the future. Janine, it is so great to have you here on the Harlem Capital Game Changers podcast. For the listeners who may not know who you are, I'm just going to give a quick bio. So Janine is the founder um, and one of the managing partners at Overlooked Ventures, which is a venture capital firm focused on transparently supporting and investing in early stage companies with one or more historically ignored founders. Janine also founded and built a legal tech SaaS startup, called Next Chapter and served as CEO and founder for six years until the company was successfully acquired in 2019. So Janine, you are truly a -a one-of-a-kind trailblazer and I am so excited to have you here today to learn about your inspiration and execution for Overlooked Ventures and how you successfully turned your game-changing idea into a reality. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So I gave a very short bio just to give listeners, you know, some more context on who you are outside of your resume. Can you please give us a little background on, you know, where you grew up, what jobs you had, and just who you are outside of your job experience? Yeah, of
1: course. So I grew up in the suburbs of Columbus, Ohio, uh, specifically Pickerington, and um, I graduated from high school a little bit early. I was like eager just to get out into the world um, and start working. I I did attend um, a paralegal school right after college, and I joined a law firm as a paralegal by the time I was uh, 19 years old. And so my idea was I wanted to uh, be an attorney, but I thought, you know, maybe I'll do this first, make sure that I really enjoy it. And then I can go back, finish my undergrad and go to law school. Um, I ended up really kind of getting into like wanting to start a business. And that's why um, after working at the law firm for several years as a bankruptcy paralegal, I started looking into um, a a virtual paralegal firm. And it was actually, so I started that at age 22 and um, that was actually what I ended up pivoting into and what became Next Chapter. The, uh, the virtual paralegal firm, though, was way ahead of its time. It was 2009, and nobody was working remotely. Uh, a lot of firms really didn't understand hiring a, a paralegal who wasn't going to be in the office. So it was a hard sell for a lot of um, more established law firms. But I did find a lot of, uh, you know, early new lawyers who were willing to kind of look at this model. And so I started working with them virtually. I was, um, doing it nights and weekends just, you know, as the side hustle. And then that grew. And when I was doing that is when I really realized there was uh, a problem with the bankruptcy software in the market in that it wasn't web-based. And so nobody could, um, really fill out the bankruptcy forms, um, without being like chained to a desk. So that's when I, um, I started looking into like, how do you even build software and how, you know, how do people turn desktop based applications into online applications? Um, and yeah, so that was my journey into, you know, getting into
0: how I built next chapter
1: and why. You
0: really have such a unique background, um, as an entrepreneur and a founder of a legal SaaS startup at a time when, you know, like you mentioned, software of this kind wasn't really even being conceptualized yet. So I would love to hear when you started to shift your mindset from being a founder to an investor, you know, what was your first investment and when did you decide to start investing in startups?
1: Yes. Yeah, so this is a, a really interesting um, part of the story because, I went from being this founder for you know six years, bootstrapping my way uh, to acquisition, and all along the way, I I wanted to raise capital. I wanted to, you know, be able to grow quicker and uh, build a team faster. And so I I tried to raise capital, and I think that's my first um, experience in the VC world was being a founder trying to raise capital, and it wasn't a very Pleasant one to be honest. I was a solo woman founder in a tech company in a very small niche. And so I tried to raise capital coast to coast. And it was, you know, nobody was doing Zoom uh, meetings. So I was physically going and flying to every place uh, for six months. And I really, you know, I would come out of the meetings discouraged. I, I got a lot of questions like, where's your male co-founder? You know, where's your technical co-founder? When are you going to have a baby? When did you get engaged? You know, all these questions I thought were really irrelevant to me and building my company. Um, And so I, from that point on, I was like, you know, when I, I make it, whatever that means, when I build this company and get it off the ground, I am, going to start angel investing in in women like me who you know have a great idea don't know where where to begin and um and don't have the the wealthy safety net or ivy league background, you know, to, to try to make it to have the connections to make it happen. So I really started thinking about angel investing back when I was a founder. And I was like, I I wanted I didn't know if I wanted to be a VC, to be honest. I just thought I want to invest in people like me who don't have those opportunities. And so that's what happened. I, I sold my company six years later. And the first thing I did was start looking at, at startups that I wanted to invest in. And I I put a a tweet out and I was like, I'm angel investing. And it was like, so well received within, you know, I, I said exactly what I was looking for, the markets I was interested in, the spaces. I was like, I wanted to, to look at um, untapped areas as well and try to find people that I could, you know, relate to as a, a founder who might see some value in the, the expertise that I could bring. So that's when I started getting a ton of of cold DMs and messages from people, you know, sending me their pitch decks. I got about 50 overnight and I started looking at them every evening. I was like, I, it was just a really fun way for me to continue to stay in the, the startup ecosystem. And my first investment was in a company called Stagger. It's an Austin based company. And it came from a cold DM. the The founder sent me a short and sweet pitch. It caught my eye. And I looked over the deck one evening and within three Zoom meetings, I wired her 50K. And so we, since then, she was able to close about 1.2 million all from cold DMs on Twitter. And her, you know, her business is soaring. So it's, it's so much fun to watch and be a part of it.
0: I think it's great that you are so involved in some of the tech ecosystems outside of the major coasts. Your first investment was in Austin, you grew up in Ohio and now are based there. I think that is a great segue to what really inspired your idea for Overlooked Ventures and you know what inspired you to choose that name as well. Yes, so
1: honestly when my partner and I Brandon started Overlooked Ventures We were really looking at the stats and last year alone, only 2.3% of all venture dollars went to women founders and less than 1% went to black founders. So I was like, this is abysmal. It was, you know, really discouraging and disheartening here that, you know, it feels like when you're in it, that things are changing, but then these stats come out and you realize that they're, they're not, and they're getting worse. And what can you do to, to change that? So I think after learning the stats in early, you know, 2021 that had come out, I had been meeting with thousands of founders by that point And over the, you know, year and a half who were building future billion dollar companies. And I really wanted to make a bigger impact. And that's when I met Brandon Brooks, and he's also an entrepreneur turned VC. And both of us, we both had the same vision on this. It was like, how can we just put more money into overlooked and underrepresented founders? And so the first thing we did was try to secure, you know, figure out our name and secure the domain and work on the branding and all of that. And I think that just makes a really strong storytelling point for founders to, you know, to say this is exactly who we are and what we believe in and who we invest in all from the name. And so as soon as I saw it was available, first of all, I was like, this is perfect. (laughs) Uh Let's, let's do it. We're Overlooked Ventures. And so we got really excited about it. For us, that means overlooked in terms of, you know, race, geography, gender, um, everything. I mean, there's so many ways that founders are being overlooked. And we really wanted to, to make sure that that was part of our mission from day one
0: i really love the storytelling process that you and brandon have going on in terms of the name you guys chose and the types of entrepreneurs that you're looking for and also just the fact that both of you guys have been overlooked before as entrepreneurs and you've experienced that problem firsthand and now to see that you're on the solution side of things is really amazing can you elaborate a bit on what your brainstorming process was with brandon behind the scenes for actually getting Overlooked Ventures off of the ground? You know, who was really sitting around the table um, working with you guys to help launch your idea? Yeah,
1: there were so many people uh, to help us early on. And I think, like I said, the, the, the first steps that we did were all of that brainstorming. You know, we had a lot of Twitter chats and Clubhouse conversations with founders and with each other uh, trying to identify and see what else can we do other than, you know, provide mentorship and um, how far my own angel investing could go. And so um, we really started like getting our Rolodex together. We really, we wanted to build out a list of potential investors, communicate with anyone and everyone we could really in the VC space to help us understand what, it is that we needed to do to get started. It's, uh, it's being a founder again, you know, this isn't my first rodeo building a company. So I knew that we had to outline all the important parts to build the, the brand and the business behind the scenes. So then we could really execute and focus on the mission going forward. And doing that, we really leaned on a lot of our now advisors. So those are some of the people who supported us early on. I think And who are still, I mean, we we just launched this two months ago. So, you know, it's like early on is yesterday, (laughs) but I, I was really nervous to talk to friends and people that I admire in this space to be our advisors or part of our founders network. I just, I think you get that imposter syndrome all over again, even when you're building something like a VC fund. And it, it was strong. I was like, am I qualified to do this? Do I have the credentials? And the answer is I I do, but um, it's, you know, you see one type of person when you think venture capital, and I really want to make a change to, for people not to think that. So that's one of the reasons we're being really intentional about being transparent and raising publicly. But Our advisors have helped us understand that we are the people to do this, and we have Eric Bond from Hustle Fund, Mac Conwell from Rare Breed, Caitlin Holloway from Seven Seven Six, Marie Roca from Realist, Sabah Kareem from TechStars. I mean, it's an all-star lineup. It's like the people who are there to help us. They they've reviewed our deck over and over again, giving us feedback. They've shared their you know really candid advice on on what we're doing right and wrong to help us make better decisions going forward. And I, I can't thank them enough. And then even more recently, I've been talking with um, Brandon Bryant and Jared at, at Harlem and both of them have helped with helping us understand portfolio construction and the value that we're bringing. I mean, the people in the industry that we're talking to are, are truly
0: helping us
1: to, to build what we are. I'm really thankful.
0: That's awesome. And really just emphasizes the importance of that network and that community. How has the fundraising journey been for you guys building overlooked ventures in the Midwest in a non-coastal ecosystem?
1: Well, right now, luckily, everyone is, is pretty used to this remote setting, this remote lifestyle. Being able to zoom, um, you know, meeting and pitch with LPs across the country has been very helpful because I think pre-COVID they probably would have required us to be in person for all these meetings, which really takes so much time. Uh, but I can knock out three LP meetings in a morning and you know still make it to to you know my bar class. So it's really great. Um, but overall, the the what we really want to do is to be able to show that there are founders in the midwest um, and in other you know non-coastal markets that have amazing companies that are being built and that's one of the things i think the talent is here in cities like columbus and pittsburgh founders are ready to innovate they're friendly it's an affordable environment they're coming out of school there's a lot of great um, schools around here that are you know that are pumping out New ideas, but VCs aren't typically in these areas, so I am excited about that. We are working with a lot of institutional LPs here in Columbus. Um, that has been really fun to talk to. You know, the CEOs of Fortune 50 companies. I never thought that I would ever have the opportunity to meet, and it's been really a, an awesome journey so far with that. But also in the Midwest, I'm I'm excited to put a spotlight on those companies that haven't been able to get much attention yet. So we've seen a lot of startups in St. Louis, um, Austin, DC, you know, there's, we had over 500 startups apply so far in the past two months and they're coming from all over the place. And so it's really, just showing us that these founders, they might not have the same access to capital since they're not located in those venture capital hubs, if you will. But I think ventures should keep an eye on the Midwest. This untapped market is, is really booming.
0: Well, it sounds like the fundraising process is going well so far. I see you speak about this a little bit on Twitter, and I would love for you to elaborate on what are the differences that you have seen in the fundraising journey from the perspective of a founder and now a VC? So I talk about this a lot because the fundraising
1: process as a founder is so hard. It's so, it's so challenging. And especially if you are a woman, a person of color, black entrepreneur, trying to raise in an, you know, untapped market, like I said, it's Honestly, I wasn't taken very seriously at the time. I was young and that was one of the things I heard a lot. Um, and people were, like I said, really interested in when I was going to be like starting a family and what that would do to my business. I thought that was a really weird <laughs> kind of question to ask right off the bat. But I found that really when I started to, to be on the other side maybe I was talking to the wrong VCs, you know, because I'm having a great time as a VC. And I know that there is some power play going on that people look at, you know, venture differently than they do as a startup founder. But honestly, everyone I've talked to so far has just been so positive and, and helpful. And it's just a totally different world. And I'm like, what, what is going on here? And so I talk about it openly because I want founders to know, like, if you're having a bad experience, it's not you, like, this is probably either, you know, you haven't talked to the right BCs. It's not the right fit. I think founders should really look at maybe working with a mentorship pro- program, talking to peer mentors, really make sure that they talk to people who have been in this uh, position and can identify the right people to to connect
0: with. So we often see, you know, really exciting announcements, especially on social media with a lot of, you know, fundraising announcements or new fund announcements, but there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes to actually get to that point. So how long did it actually take you guys from the time you and Brandon had the idea for this? How long did it actually take before you guys announced to the world that overlooked ventures was officially fundraising?
1: Well, since we we wanted to um, like I said, be really transparent along the process, so we decided to go with the the um, 506c, which allows us to raise in public. so, in order to do that, we really had to like, you know, work with our attorney and get all the docs done. And that process does take a long time, but we started talking about this in January of this year. And we, you know, both of us were talking about raising our own funds around the $10 million mark. And then eventually um, Brandon just got in my DMS and was like, you want to start this together? And I was like, okay, shoot your shot. So he was like, all right, let's, you know, let's build this as a team and and go for fifty million. And I was like, that's a that's a hefty beginning. And then we really talked about like the portfolio construction and in order to execute our strategy, it would have to be fifty million. And also, a lot of the institutional LPs we were talking to really don't even touch anything lower than you know twenty five. So we wanted to make sure that we could kind of make a big impact. And um, you know, just if we were going to do it, let's let's do it. Um, so it took us. A couple months to really identify our, our strategy, our, our mission and the, you know, like I said, the branding um, and everything, we, we just wanted to make sure that we would be, we would have everything important outlined so that we could like really stay aligned on the future of the fund and work together on the execution seamlessly. So that ended up taking a few months and then we launched in the middle of May. And so it's been two months
0: since launch. So I really just want to highlight, because I think it's amazing, um, the fact that your first angel investment and also, you know, the business opportunity to co-found Overlooked Ventures with Brandon both came out of DMs that you received. Um, so you know, for anyone listening, if you are hesitating, reaching out to somebody, this is a sign. Send that email, send that DM. It could result in a life-changing opportunity. But you spoke a little bit before about the types of founders that Overlook Ventures will be investing in. Can you elaborate on what types of companies you are looking for and what really differentiates your strategy from traditional VCs?
1: We are industry agnostic. And so we're looking for untapped markets um, with like huge potential scalability, Um, and preferably in untapped cities so even though we're industry agnostic we're really looking at like tech tech enable D2c and we're excited about um, wellness technology and, and inclusion industries and that kind of buckets in um, you know a lot of different a lot of different things and I think that that will be evolving as well um, but mostly, you know, we're looking at the founders themselves. I think since we're so early stage, um, where we're investing right now is, is in the founders first and then the business. And we really want to make sure that we build a, a relationship with them. We get to know the founders. Um, we want to know that they're coachable and adaptable and comfortable with the ambiguity. If we can look at the growth in a period of time to see how far a founder can get with what she has that can really give us a lot of insight. So for example, if we meet with a founder and by the next time we talk, she's already solved a few problems, was able to come up with a question or two for us. I think that's a really good indication of where we can go versus the founder that says like, we only need X amount to get to Y. Like I wanna hear, we solved Y and Z, but now we're still looking to raise X to get us to the next level. And something like that is is a lot more um, what we're looking for instead of a specific space or uh, industry right now. And then a little bit about, you know, what differentiates us. Uh, I think right now, since we're so early um, in in this whole process, we are very transparent and authentic um, from the start. It's just already naturally like in our bones. And so um, we've both been really open about this whole process. And it's amazing to see these founders, like when we send an update about the progress of um, raising the fund and educating them about the VC process, we're getting the responses back from them like, wow, this is so incredible. We've never had a, a response like this from a VC. And we're like, really? <laughs> you know, we're just explaining <laughs> what the process is. And so I, I'm i finding that that's actually one of our differentiators, which I just thought was being a person. Like, I just thought that was, you know, just who we are. But apparently this is something that is not really done in the VC space. One thing that I know that, you know, differentiates us right now is that we are, we want to be in with the early stage founders. Like we were one of them just not long ago. And so rolling up our sleeves, Getting in the trenches with them, helping solve problems, go to their office—like we're up for that as much as they want us to be. Like I'm not going to be in their business if they're not interested, but I will take any any call on a weekend, reach out to my network for the angel um, portfolio companies that I have. I want to continue that and, you know, maintain our um, our relationship and just get really close with these founders because we just know how it feels.
0: I think that empathy that you have four founders is definitely something that can be a differentiating factor and it sounds like you are very hands on with the founders that you have invested in so i know that overlooked ventures as of july 2021 has not yet deployed capital but you personally have quite a few angel investments so what are some of you know your favorite or just some of the notable investments that you've made as an angel investor
1: yeah, it's, it's been so much fun because I get to be a part of these companies. Um, like I said, like with uh, the first one that I, that I invested in, Stagger, um, that one has been really fun because I'm, I'm helping with um, you know, marketing tips and how to get uh, like customer acquisition strategies and things like that. Um, that s- similarly, a company that I invested in uh, called West 10th, it's a consumer, um, consumer social marketplace for women owned businesses. And I identified with it immediately. I was like, Oh yeah, local Etsy, you know, uh, the, the ability to, um, to find women, home businesses, women-based, um, home businesses that, you know, can help me as a, as a mother, but also, um, On the other side, if I, you know, if I'm looking for work, I can put up my business on there. I just, I love it. I loved it from the get-go. And I was like, I can um, find a lot of things that I can help with, you know, with this company. So I've been able to also help with um, their marketing and some different strategy sessions and um, even like hiring a, a marketing expert on their team. So that's been fun i am invested in a few fintech companies so prometeo and um am and pipe and so that's been fun to see the the progress there and also, couplet Coffee. Um, I'm I'm a huge coffee snob, and it just kind of came about as I worked in a coffee shop for so many years. As a founder, I just got to really love coffee and good coffee. So um, when I was presented with the opportunity to invest um, in Geffen's company, Cuplet Coffee, I was like, "This is so much fun!" And I love the interesting model they have for like their drops. They have different um, merch drops and um, really. Really fun, like artistic ways to um, get the brand out there. And I just, I dig that kind of stuff.
0: I definitely am a huge fan of coffee as well. So love that you're an investor in Couplet Coffee. I follow them on Twitter and really love the community that they're building around their products. One thing I want to kind of dig into a little bit because you've been a founder and you've experienced all of the challenges. Of being a founder. But th- that set of challenges you know, is very different and unique than the set of challenges of, of, of actually being on the other side of the table and being an investor. So what were some of the major challenges that you faced in getting Overlooked Ventures off the ground and actually turning that idea um, into a reality?
1: When I think about challenges, I always go back to the founder the founder story because that's really where you know most of my time has been so honestly it's you know so far raising the fund to where we are and getting it off the ground has been surprisingly a breeze and i don't want to like make that seem like it's it's easy peasy but i'm also like isn't that why second and third time founders like can just build something quick and and know You know, they already know all the challenges that they're going to face. And honestly, as a, a solo founder, things were really hard. And now having a partner, it has like, it's so much easier. It's, I can just brainstorm and knock ideas around, ask him to take a meeting if I'm unavailable. Like, it's just, it just feels so much lighter, like having. A buddy there to do it with. And as a solo founder, I was really inside my head on everything. And it was like, I didn't have a way to, to share and brainstorm. And that was one of the biggest challenges was internally, just how mentally exhausting it was as a, a solo founder. And so I don't think I would have really been able to get it up and um, running as quickly on my own. I mean, I, I definitely know I wouldn't put us together and, and we're like, you know, 10 times faster and better than um, individually. So,
0: Well, I'm really happy that you and Brandon have synced up for Overlooked Ventures. One thing I think that's so amazing is how highly you guys speak of each other publicly and how much you guys really champion each other in the public eye. While I know you are not necessarily seeking out um, a co-founder for Overlooked Ventures, can you just, you know, talk a little bit about Any advice you have for people who might be starting their own company, want to start their own fund, and what they should look for in their teammates um, and the people that they surround themselves with.
1: I think it's important to work with people who encourage your spark and really energize you and share those same passions that you do. And that was immediately what I felt like when we started talking about this. I mean, I when the stats came out about that like 0.67% of VC went to black founders, I was like, I was so mad. And I, and I know, you know, it's like, oh, okay. So you're just mad. Like you need to do something about it, you know? And so I remember calling Brandon and I was, I was like actually mad. (laughs) I'm just like, (laughs) this is absurd. I'm like, how, 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 you know? And it's like, both of us were just so angry and like, It's because you care so much. And he was doing the same thing. And it was like, this is how I could really tell that we were both like in it for the right reasons and we were gonna do it together. I think just putting those values and mission alignment at the forefront really kind of shapes everything that we're gonna become.
0: I love that. And I think that is such a poignant piece of advice for everyone listening, no matter who you are surround yourself with people who spark your inner passions and that you share a mission alignment with because just like janine said that will shape everything that you become so janine thank you so much for being here today to share your story on how you and brandon got overlooked ventures from an idea into a reality it's been amazing to hear your story and the trail that you blazed for yourself in a competitive world of not only entrepreneurship, but now venture capital.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It has been a pleasure.
0: And that's it for today's episode of Harlem Capital's More Equity Podcast Game Changer series. Make sure to check out the rest of the episodes on Spotify or Apple Music. And to stay up to date for all things Harlem Capital, you can follow the team on Twitter and subscribe to our newsletter. This is your host Raquel Scott and that's a wrap for today.